years ago, I went to the doctor to get checked out for the flu. And while we're waiting on the results, I was joking around with the doctors and nurses. And they were shocked that it came back positive because they said, you are the happiest flu patient we've ever met. So that's something my guest today might have said. Ernie Schraumeyer, he's a medical exercise specialist, former professional athlete, just all around good guy. And he's all about perspective. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Please tune in. And I think you will, too. Hey, welcome back to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. We've got a very exciting guest for you today, but even more exciting. The podcast is going international. We're taking it out of the States. We're going up a little bit to the neighbors to the north, Canada. My friend Ernie Schreemeyer here, he's, he's a really interesting guy, super positive, glad to have him on. He's got a great story and some interesting perspective on things. But uh, so what he is, the main thing, he's a medical exercise specialist, a great trainer. We, we met through the Adventure Boot Camp family back in the day. Uh, Super positive guy, like I said. He's got a couple of kids. He's married, and uh, we're just gonna get into uh, kind of how he grew up and some interesting questions. But uh, Ernie, thanks for being on here, man. Thanks, Joe. It's it's a uh, it's long overdue. I feel like we're we're old old pals, even though we only know each other from being online and talking that way. But yeah, this is great. I've been following your podcast for a while and listening to it, and I love it, man. It's uh, it's you got the right you got the right name for it anyway. The relentless positivity. It's great. Yeah. I think the world needs some of that right now. So we're going to, we're going to do some of that, but uh, Ernie gave me a great opportunity to uh, be a part of an article that he writes for the new local newspaper up there. And uh, I got a chance to write an article with him and uh, it was a great experience. I got great feedback from, from uh, people in his, his state over there. And, and uh, I really appreciate that. So I wanted to return the favor and have him on. So uh, tell me, so where'd you grow up? Where, where were you born? So I was born in, in Montreal, Quebec. So I'm, um, I'm not French Canadian, but I, I grew up in Quebec, which is mostly French, but uh, in, in, somewhat English area. My parents were, um, so I'm a first generation Canadian, first generation Quebecer. My, my parents um, were immigrants from Germany and Austria. They immigrated to Canada after World War II. They met in Montreal actually, so they didn't, uh, they didn't come together. So they came separately and uh, just had a chance meeting there. Um, so I was born in, in, in Montreal. Um, I, I grew, grew up playing sports like crazy, you know, it's not even a question of whether I played hockey. I mean, you, you play hockey pretty much all you play hockey. So I played hockey, I played football. Um, I have two sisters. So one older, one, one younger. Um, and we, we all, we were even in ski school, believe it or not. So we, every weekend we get picked up by bus and we go off to, to do school. So to do, to, to learn skiing half the day and then to be free skiing the rest of the day. So I picture Canadians, by the way, I picture you guys all going to skate, skiing school and hockey school. And well, all that stuff. Well, in, in Quebec, especially where I grew up, um, you know, within in less than an hour, I mean, you're in the Laurentians, which is the, the mountain range there. And, uh, you know, where I live now, I'm in, I'm in Hamilton, Ontario. So I'm in, I'm in Southern Ontario, which is a much more, um, the winters aren't quite as, as severe as they were in Quebec in the seventies anyway. Um, so to go skiing, you know, I got to drive like two and a half hours to get to a somewhat decent hill from Montreal. You know, we'd get picked up by a school bus and an hour, hour later, we were in a, in a range. We had a whole choice of all different mounts. So it was a big being being outdoors and being um, being active like that was always a big thing. Both also for my parents, my dad grew up in the area like where Sound of Music was was filmed. So he's he grew up in the Alps. Uh, my mom grew up in, in Nuremberg in Germany. Um, so. Yeah, I was in I was in Quebec for my whole life until uh, when I was 19. I got a scholarship to to go to Purdue University, and uh, I played football at Purdue for for four years. I didn't never even redshirted. I started as a freshman, believe it or not. How'd you get recruited to Purdue? How'd they find out about you? It's a it's a pretty good story. So when I my first year playing football, I was a, I was an underage kid. Um, so seven it was the, the age group was seven to nine, but we snuck in there just before I was 
six and three quarters, I guess. And my, I was an over, I was, believe it or not, I was, I was overweight as a kid. I was chubby. Um, my mom dragged me. She saw the kids at the park running around and she didn't, she, she might've thought that football was soccer. I don't know because she's from Germany, but she saw the kids running around and doing jumping jacks and all that. So she, she dragged me up to the park. I was a really, really shy kid and I never spoke in school or anything. And she dragged me up screaming and crying. And I was, oh, she dragged me up there. And the, the coach, I looked from six-year-old, the coach is this enormous African-American gentleman. And he's looking at me and his voice was the deepest voice you ever heard. And he was the coach of the team. So his name was Wally Highsmith. His, he was playing at the time for the Montreal Alouettes in the Canadian Football League. But before that, he was a Houston Oiler, I believe. Um, he played in the, in the um, not the USFL, but the, um, he played in the NFL. But then there was another, what was the other league they had? The WFL? Anyway, the, his, his son was, um, is Alonzo Highsmith. I was going to ask, any relation? Yeah. Yeah, so Alonzo, Alonzo was on the team. We were teammates when we were six or seven years old. So Alonzo was the, you may remember him from University of Miami. Um, he was the third pick overall, I believe, in the NFL draft with the Oilers. So he, so Alonzo and, and I, we played together. Uh, we played on the same team, but then they moved to a different park and then we were rivals to the age of about 14. And then we played together again when we were on the, like the city team for a couple of years. Then um, they moved back to Florida and Wally became uh, head coach of a, of a high school in Florida. And Alonzo went down and was a star of the team and then went out to University of Miami. But when Purdue was doing some recruiting, um, I guess they were recruiting at, at Wally's school, he mentioned me and said, you got to go check out this kid up in, in Quebec, you know, up in, up in Canada. And so they recruited me and um, my, they, they, you know, they watched me for a while and then they offered me a scholarship. So when I went to Purdue, I was, um, I was the, I was the all-star um like all province the province is a state by the way to you guys so i was the all prov like running back but also i was a punter so purdue needed um their one of their punters one of the kickers had graduated and the other one had got kicked out of school they needed a, a kicker right away so i got a scholarship i went there i started as a freshman as, as the punter so i punted for my first year at wow. purdue uh, they knew i wanted to play running back and i was going to go somewhere and, and sign as a running back so as in my sophomore year i switched and i went on and i played running back after that Wow. So I played fullback. Um, after Purdue, I got I was um, I was drafted by the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Canadian Football League. So that's how I ended up in where I live now in Hamilton. I was with the with the Tiger Cats for five years, and in my fifth year with the team, I was released and then signed by the Ottawa Rough Riders, so another franchise. Played there, but but by then my um, my business had started here. I met my wife, and she was here, and so I kind of kind of settled here, and um, yeah, I've been here ever since. Yeah. So who, who's the best player you ever played with? Maybe your top three. Who's the best you played with? In, without a doubt, would be Rod Woodson. Oh, Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famer. Without a doubt, yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he's all set. He was on the All Century team. So the year that the year that Alonzo was drafted, um, our quarterback was drafted. I was it was Jim Everett. Oh, yeah. So he was drafted, I think, and then I played with Jeff George. He was our quarterback for a while. Um, played against Jim Harbaugh, believe it or not. He was the quarterback for Michigan. Uh, there was a lot of big name guys. Keith Byers was running back for Ohio State. Um, yeah, played for the Eagles for a long time too. Remember, you remember uh, Merton Hanks, the DB yeah. for? <laughs> I was watching. I was every now and then, every every few years, we'll throw on an old videotape, and I was watching a game, and I run over Merton Hanks. <laughs> he was he was the running. He was the DB for Iowa. He used to do that chicken thing with his head. Right? Yeah, he was. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So 
so there were a lot. Yeah, we had at Purdue, we had a lot of um, Calvin Williams was uh, a receiver, went on to the Eagles. I just just the other night, actually, I got an email from Mark Jackson. Do you remember him? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did with the three amigos from Denver. So just so we had yeah, we had a lot of big name guys. Um, the program the program goes up and down. I mean, there's some teams, you know, there's like Alabama, Ohio State. They're always going to be up there. Purdue tends to go up and down in cycles, you know, when they had. Um, so I was kind of at the end of a cycle with the, the year I was recruited you know, to went to the Peach Bowl. And then there was a bit of a down cycle until Mike Allstott and then Drew Brees came and then, you know, came back up again. And, uh, you know, but it was pretty, it was a heck of an experience, I tell you. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so when you, I got, you started your business. What, what kind of business? Where did you start? How did you start your business? What did that look like when you first started? Well, when I was at, first of all, when I went to Purdue, I, my first two years, I was in a, what was called a supervision program, which is like professional management. And so it was economics, macro, micro, um, business systems, management, that kind of thing. I did it for two years and I was, I could do it. I was okay, but it really wasn't my passion. I wasn't really excited about it. And one night I looked in my dorm room and it's a Saturday night on, on campus and I'm reading Muscle and Fitness Magazine. And I, I got a whole stack of them and I thought maybe I should move into that direction. So I switched programs and I ended up in what was called community health promotion. So it was learning health education protocols and then epidemiology and things, and then also learning how to present and write and teach it. So um, that was what, so I ended up with a health promotion degree. When I was playing uh, in the Canadian Football League, um, probably about my third year in, I had started doing some, uh, I was, I wanted to start in corporate fitness actually. Okay. Yeah. And so I was setting up a corporate, fit, and I did an internship when I was at Purdue in corporate fitness, and I, I worked for a company here in Hamilton, but, um, you know, you, you never know where you're going to end up. Right. So I was, I went to the bank <laughs> to set up a bank, a business bank account to set up this corporate business I was going to do. And it was at the time it was called all Canadian fitness systems. Cause I thought systems sounded. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait till you hear my, my business name. <laughs> hold, hold on to your seats here. If you may, you may wish you would have named it Joe Martin fitness. Yeah, that's it. You yeah. want to know something? You want to know something, Joe? My business now, so my business now is called Ernie Schrammeyer Fitness. There you go. See? Same. So it was, it was, and it was, so I, I directly took it. Your logo and everything was so good. I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to call it. But all Canadian. So I used to, my dad, um, my dad lived in upstate New York, actually. So my parents, they, they separated and they eventually divorced and ended up remarried and with new partners. But my, my dad lived in upstate New York, um, kind of near Utica for 20, 25 years. He re so he, he started a business in Montreal and then eventually became the president of a company in New York State that was part of the Fruit of the Loom company. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he, his company did computerized sewing systems, which is pretty cool. Uh, but but I used to, when I would visit him, I'd go sometimes to work out at the local gym and it was called All American Fitness. And so when I needed a name for my business, I thought, yeah, okay, fitness. Yeah. And then because it was, I had to sound professional, but systems at the end. I don't know what yeah. that meant. Um, but yeah, so All Canadian Fitness Systems was where I started. And I was trying to, so I went to the bank to get a bank account to set up this, this company. And then when I was meeting with the bank account manager, the bank manager, he, he was asking me what I do and et cetera. And, you know, he saw that I was on the football team. And he, he told me about his wife who had gained 50 pounds with each pregnancy and was like 100 pounds more than when they had dated the start. So he asked me if, if I could work with her. And I had never thought about personal training. I said, yeah, okay. So I, that was my first client. So we went from there and then it was word of mouth. And um, 
yeah, so that was how I that was how I ended up doing personal training, just for a chance meeting from from that doctor. But when I when I retired from football, I really even though I was I had been in you know I played every sport you can imagine growing up and pretty high level, obviously you know getting a scholarship and going pro. I, I really did not want to work in training, uh, sports training or performance or athletes. That was I just I was just had enough of it at that point. But I really. Um, I really wanted to, to, to kind of move off in a different direction. And I, I sort of fell just by chance in, into the, the, the medical exercise field there. My, like I said, my degree is in health promotion. Okay, so here's, here's um, happenstance number two. So number one was meeting that, that guy at the bank. Number two, I was living with my, my sister who just happened just by chance. She was at, uh, at university, McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario where I got drafted and it's, this is, you know, six, seven hour drive from where we grew up. So it was just a chance we both ended up here. So I was living with her. And one night she asked me, she says, Hey, let's get a pizza. You know, this is back when you had, uh, you know, the yellow pages, <laughs> she says, so I started looking up for pizza and I was kind of flipping through and somebody called me in the house. I said, what? And I stopped. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked back and the page I had stopped on, there was an advertisement, in the yellow pages. It said the center for human performance and health promotion. And I thought, I've never heard anything like that. I thought, what? I didn't know what it was. Do they deliver pizza or not? They don't deliver pizza, no. So, and so I, I looked at it, I said, what the heck is that? So I phoned them. And I figured, why not? I called them and I said, um, what do you guys do? Who are you? So it's a, it was, a, it was a, um, a clinic that treats musicians and performing artists. So with arts-related injuries. Oh, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a music nut. And I was, so I, I, I said, well, can I come meet you guys? So I met the director. He knew who I was because he was a football fan and had seen me play and we just headed off right away. And so I became the uh, post rehab referral source for their clinic. And so they did, you know, regular, you know, regular doctor work. They did the physiotherapy, they did um, chiropractic, all that stuff. But then when somebody was no longer needing, they were no longer acute, they would need the bridge between that and going back to regular fitness, they would get referred to me and I would work with them. And this was, um, a lot of insurance work, so people who had been either musicians with overuse or who had been in accidents, and uh, so that's where I started. So I was kind of making it up as I go, and then I realized I had to write um, reports for doctors in their language and for insurance companies to get funding, and the language was pretty confusing. So I I signed up for the medical exercise specialty co certification course and got certified as a as an MES back there at that point. Yeah, well, I'll use those big words, man. That'd be that'd be rough on me. Gen, I just remember it was the thing that made me go, okay, I got to learn this. Was genuverum, <laughs> and genuvalgus. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google those later when I get back. Knock, knock mead or bowlegged. Okay, I, I speak those. I speak so genu, yeah. So there you go. So those two. So that was how I got started. That was in the early to mid '90s. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how how I got started in adventure boot camp is kind of a, my my dad said. You've heard of boot camps? You'd probably be good at that. And he, and he showed me an advertisement on the back of, I think it was a PFP magazine or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huge adventure boot camp thing. Just by, he was like, hey, I think you'd be really good at this. Um, come on, look into that. And the rest is history, right? So you, these weird things that can happen and just change your life completely, right? And Absolutely. Yeah. For a magazine. Yeah, so that's. You never, you never know where you're going to, you know, that's why it's so important to just meet people, talk to people, get out there, you know? Yeah. Either way, get out, get off your screen and get out there and actually meet people, you know? Yeah. So, so you started there with personal training. When did you get into groups? I know you were an adventure boot camp guy for a month. So how, what, what got you into the group? Um, 
I did adventure. I had adventure boot camp for about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, honestly, I can't. Rem- <laughs> I can't remember how I how I heard about it or found out about it. I was trying um, at that time. So when I was when I first started doing the, the work with the uh, with the rehab clinic, mm-hmm. one, one thing I did different from a lot of what other trainers have done is I started very early on. I was contracting other trainers to do work for, to do my to take my spillover. Okay. Yeah. So I, like, like almost right away, I was, I was, I would hire somebody and then I would subcontract them to work. And then I would be the one submitting the, so eventually, so I did that. I was on the road for 10 years with no real location, just meeting people on site at gyms and their homes and pools and sending out other trainers. Um, so then I finally, when I, when I decided I, I needed a home, I, I opened up a studio and I had over the years, about 25 trainers work for me wow. through, through that location. Um, so when we were in there, we were looking for another, um, way to make some, some money, you know, another process system. system. It was all Canadian systems. So you had to have all yeah, these- exactly. Well, by then we had dropped it down to three words. It was just all Canadian fitness. So. <laughs> um, but, but we were looking, I was looking for um, another profit center, something else besides one-on-one training. And so like everybody that has a location and space, we started to, to do group training, mm-hmm. but no real system, no real, I just would, you know, advertise it. It'd be pretty good. It'd be a few people. So I probably was online. It was early on with the internet and looking up group exercise bootcamp. And I, I must've just come across an ad. I think the adventure bootcamp logo, which was like the um, Indiana Jones logo, grabbed me. I saw that and I looked into it. And from the, the very first camp, so I was, you know, just begging people to come for like five or six groups of five or six. The very first camp I did with adventure bootcamp, close to 40 registered. Good start. Like, yeah, it was a good start. It was um, so I did that for eight years and got up at four thirty in the morning for eight years. And uh, you know, by the, by the time I got out of it, it was it was time for me to yeah. Like Dario Speed, I would say it was time for me to fly. Time for me to fly. Yeah. <laughs> you watch Ozark? That's of I'm course, at. of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so in your you know medical exercise special, what's kind of something that people they kind of, they misunderstand about what you do. So they probably come in and they see you, oh, you're a personal trainer, they probably have this in mind. What is different between personal training and what you do? Well, the, the, the biggest misconception, the thing that people think I do and what I really do is they oftentimes will think that, I, that I'm a, in the US you call it a physical therapist, in Canada it's a physiotherapist, yeah. but they'll think that I'm a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. And so they think that I can diagnose and um, assess them, make a diagnosis, and then work with them on rehab. So the, they, the, there's a difference between being a medical exercise specialist, a personal trainer, and a therapist. So in, in my work, I tell people that I'm a, not a diag- I cannot be a diagnostician. I'm a suspectician. Okay. <laughs> so, so if somebody's got you know, pain on the, underneath their kneecap, I know I've seen it for 30 years now. I know it's probably going to be patellofemoral syndrome. Probably, but I'm not. It's outside of my professional scope and my ability to diagnose that. So I would refer somebody to a therapist who could diagnose. So I am able to work with the diagnosis and to work with somebody around an injury. But in in my professional scope, it's never about rehabbing or doing physiotherapy for the an injury. Even though a lot of what we do is very similar, it might be even might even be the same routine. But it's it it's not in within the scope professional scope to work on the injury we work around it and so when that that first the musicians clinic was sending people to me they were getting um rehab for an injury and my job was to help them not lose their function 
and to lose their conditioning and get overweight and their blood pressure, you know, just all those things. So if somebody is referred to me after physio, then what really what the role of a medical exercise specialist is to help restore function and to um, to address some functional deficits that may have been left from physio. Okay. So okay. So that, you've, you've seen all these people. If someone's listening right now or watching right now, uh, yeah. what are the most common things you see that people could fix that they can start working on right now? Maybe something they can even do at home or something you see all the time. It's maybe a common, uh, common you think you see over probably, here. Probably the, um, uh, this like um, epidemic of, of postural defect or from rounded shoulders to, low, to flattened lower backs to tight hamstrings and weak glutes. Um, so anything that any routine or anything that you could do to undo the sitting position, okay, yeah. you know, that that's huge. And because there's this, because as you know, the whole, the body is like, it, it's an integrated chain. So there's a, there's a, there's a uh, chain, like a domino effect. If the shout, if the shoulders are rounded and causing the upper back to round, it's causing the lower back to flatten, which means that the hips don't work the way they should be which means there's extra stress on the knees. It goes down to the ankles. So the number one thing would be to, that I think probably everybody would be to address postural defects or postural issues. And working with musicians for many, many years, you know, who are hunched over keyboards or drums or guitars, it's very similar to somebody who's, um, who's hunched over a, a computer all day long. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to actually, Joe, I, I from that, um, years ago, I, I created a program that I sold, which was funded by the government. It was uh, meet, it was called meet, Meeting the Physical Demands of Work. Okay, yeah. And so it was addressing things like this, you know, so very similar between a musician and, and a desk worker. Cool, I never even thought about that, how musicians and desk workers might have similar problems. Well, the thing is, you th if you think about it, if you're, if you're in your boot camp and you have somebody doing a plank and they're burning and it hurts, and all of a sudden they feel some stinging in their lower back or shoulder blades, they're going to stop, right? If you've got a musician who's in a recording studio paying $1,000 a day, and there's a producer, and there's the rest of the band, and they're on a deadline, or somebody's at a, working at, at a job at a desk, and they got a boss on their, on their butt, and they're on a deadline, they're going to ignore those pain signals. They're going to work through it, Yeah. right? So in, in a workout, they're going to go, you know, Joe, and you're going to say, yeah, probably stop. But they're going to, the thing with musicians and with people who get into that zone and that flow is they're going to ignore it and just go, they're going to keep going through it regardless of whether it's going to hurt them or not. Um, I didn't think about that, man. That's cool. So we're going to give some, kind of some personal questions now. So what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? This one's just going to be personal or professional, either one or both, whatever you want, want to address. Right? That's a tough one. I was, you know, when, when I saw that your podcast was called Relentless Positivity, I thought, man, that's, that's. My, I come from a family that is the glass is always half, half full. It's the most. We used to say that my mother was the um, she was the um, the most positive person we ever met for sure. I mean, even when she had cancer at the end, even she was blind. She was just still still doing stuff. We she was like yeah. So I said this is the perfect podcast for me. So because of that, I have a hard. Time. I had a really st struggling because I don't think of failure in terms of failing anything. I'm like. But then I started to think about, it. you know, there's a couple of things in, I, I remember a moment where I was being groomed to be the, uh, the touchdown back, you know, the, the short yardage over the top through the middle. So I'd move away from the blocking roll to the center and I'm ready to, to, to shine. And they put me at the one yard line. We're in a, a preseason game and it's between me and another guy, get the ball, 
I start going over, the ball gets punched out. Remember, we have 110-yard field in Canada. The ball gets punched out. I'm pinned under the linebacker, picks it up, goes 109 yards for a touchdown. And so there's that's a failure. And I thought, ah, that's not it. That's not it. But, you know, I think the thing where I learned the most was um, I my business, the year where I had the most um, the most successful year that I've ever had in business in terms of a gross and the number of sessions, the number of work, the amount of work we were doing, I, ha- I declared bankruptcy after that year. Oh, wow. So I had a professional bankruptcy um, at one point. Uh, it was uh, it, we were so successful and doing so well on the floor and with people, but I was so new at the, and I had I had such terrible business systems in place. This guy too, dude. I was so I was doing because remember I said I was doing a lot of um, a lot of insurance work. Mm-hmm. So when you work with, I might work with you for a month, and then mail. I don't think we were emailing it. We we're mailing it, mailing it a bill, which takes a while. So I might not get payment for you for three months. But meanwhile, I had a staff of trainers who I was paying every week or every other week. So for so the more work we got in because we were doing good work, the more we got into debt as we went along. Wow. So all of my trainers at the same were also um, independent contractors. We got a visit from the, the it would be like the IRS, the CRA, so the Canada Revenue Agency. Nice guy, but he informed me that my contractors were actually working as employees because they were only working for me. So they flipped them all to employee status, which means that my my expenses went up 20% immediately. Being a good guy, and I love my trainers and everything, I didn't cut anybody's salary. I kept, I just, I absorbed it. So the hole kept getting deeper and deeper and bigger and bigger. So the, it was just an inescapable. My dad at this point was president of his company in New York State, and I took him my my, my books, and I was showing him. I guess, look, Joe, the, we did one month that, that year when I had to declare bankruptcy. We did a month. I recently looked it up. Of uh, generated thirty-two thousand dollars of personal training, Good. and and ended up going under that year. So it was really a bad scene. So we had back taxes to pay. Um, we were we were. I wasn't billing people on time. We're paying everything on time. Um, so at the end of it, it was it was probably the most positive, believe it or not, the best thing that ever happened. So at the end of that year, I closed that business. That was all Canadian fitness. I rebranded as Ernie Schremeyer Fitness. Okay. I literally moved down the street. I rented the space for me. My clients all came with me. The gross was much smaller, but my net was was many times greater and that's all that matters which was an incredible which was an incredible lesson um so at, by, even during during that year by the way during the bankruptcy year i i i'm a regular i'm a newspaper columnist now mm-hmm. i had a column back then i was also doing a weekly radio show that i was the fitness expert i was doing a monthly tv show um so media stuff everywhere so if you saw your darling that's what you are if you walked in the door and you saw five trainers working with people and then you turned on the TV and there I was, everything looked incredible, but it was underneath. It was, it was the systems were like, you. I know you, I heard you on another podcast talking about falling to the level of your systems rather than rising to the level of your goals. Well, the systems were wrong. They didn't work. I wasn't billing. I was, I also hired administ- an administrative assistant who was fantastic, but was not a money generating position. Mm-hmm. So Instead of doing it myself, I gave it, I offloaded it to her. Um, I was also hired a bookkeeper <laughs> that cost a thousand dollars a month to tell me that we were losing money every month. Um, and so I was just, it just wasn't, uh, I had a professional cleaner, all these things. So it, 
it, I, we grew too fast without having the systems to follow up on it. So really what, really what I learned from that was um, I learned how to budget. I learned how to do proper billing structures, I, how to do billing systems, how to, how to really make a really tight, lean and mean machine, right? Yeah. And so every year since then has been a greater year leading up to this pandemic year. Right. And it made it very, very, very simple to, to pivot. And this has been a great year. Yeah. So that was, so that, that failure was, was pretty failure, but I always, you know, I, I coach middle school football and I tell our guys, you know, we either we win or we learn, right? There's, there's no failures, especially at middle school level. You're most of you guys are just learning the game, but Hey, we, if you learn something, and we, we still win, right? I got to tell you, so the relentless positivity thing. So I had to go monthly. Every month I had to go to a trustee in bankruptcy and deliver a check. <laughs> uh -huh. Because if they, sell, they settle your debts, but then you have to go and pay it back in, in bets, right? Mm -hmm. So the one, one, one month I went in there and the, um, the receptionist, she said, I got to stop you for a second. I said, what, what's up? She says, you come in here every month. You're like the most upbeat, happy, positive guy in bankruptcy I've ever met. Like, what, what, what's the deal? And I said, well, Every time, every instead of grumbling every month about the money I had to pay, I was to me it represented one less month that I had until I was until I was out of it um, until they, until my discharge. So I said, "Look, I'm I'm working my way there." And I said to her, I said downstairs in their building where they there's a coffee shop that's run by this Greek lady who makes the most unbelievable white bean soup. <laughs> and I said every month when I come to give my check. I'm actually excited because I get to be one month closer and I get to have a bowl of her soup. See, there you so, go. so I linked, so I linked it, I linked it to something positive. And um, meanwhile, so we, you know, they assign you a trustee, you know, to work with you and you learn how to set up the system. So when you're out of that, if you, if you didn't screw around and you did your homework, you're ready to take off after. And so that was, that was what happened. So that has been really good. Cool. So, yeah. so what's your, what's your biggest challenge right now with what you're going through? What's your biggest challenge? Right now, it's um, business is very good. Actually, I'm in a growth period, and it's been a really great year. Um, I can't believe how how normal it feels training people through a screen. It's it's really weird, but in a good way. Um, the biggest challenge is managing having a, a line that marks work and home. That's a big. I hear it with my clients all the time that there, where there's no hard cutoff time at five o'clock. You leave the office or anything like that. It's just you can work all day if you want to. Well, in my office, I mean, I'm, I'm in my, this is where I train people through the screen, but just over here, I've got all my guitars. I play guitar. That's where I play guitar. I've got, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this room hanging out as well. So it's like, I'm always in here. Yeah. So that, that's been the hardest. And also being around, I mean, I love my family. I love them all, but just being around and because the kids are home from, well, my daughter, she's away at college, but my son is home, but just everybody's together. And it feels weird having everybody at your work and it's my work, right? So I, I, what I've, what I've, what I've started, what I've done throughout this time was um, when I finish with clients, I, I don't, by the way, I'm very, very strict with when I book people, I don't work into the night with them. At, so, yeah. but, so when I'm done with work, I could stay in this room and still be in the same room. So what I do is I've decided I leave and I'll go for a walk and listen to a podcast and maybe go up, you know, 40 minutes, an hour, go for a walk. Um, and that's when I come back, it's like, I'm coming home from work. Now I'm not, at the same place anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's it. you gotta have that kind of hard reset. That's a good way to do it, where you just kind of, hey, we'll get back at it in a little while. So yeah, you leave. You've been doing this stuff for a long time now. Um, what yeah. keeps you inspired? What's inspiring you right now? That was a tough question to come up with as well. There's, um, but I think the thing that inspires me the most is balance. So when I, I, you know, being in this line of work, I've seen the most some people with 
who are so successful in one area mm-hmm. and are complete disaster in another. Yeah. Being, and if you've ever spent time in either college, big time college, like I was in the Big Ten, or professional football, if you've ever been around football coaches at that level, these guys, they don't see their families. They, some of them sleep on the couch in the, in the meeting room. They're watching film till four in the morning. They're back at six in the morning. Yeah. A lot of them have high blood pressure. They got bad backs. They got fat stomachs. They're, they're stress cases. That, they're the most, there's, you know, you might take, you, you have somebody winning championships and he's got, the, he's got no life balance. Right. Uh, on the other hand, you, you know, I've, I've had some other clients um, who are incredibly successful in work and in home life. And there's a, here, listen to this. There was a one client I was driving to see him early in the morning when I was still doing home, home visits. And I happened to pick up the newspaper and I was sitting on my car seat. And I looked over, I was on my way to this guy's house. And I looked over and I said, wow. And his picture's there. And he had just sold his business company for six, like $68 million or something like that. So I'm like, I guess I got to raise my rates. So I show up at his house, show up at his house, same guy, still training. He's going to the movies with his wife. He's going to his kid's game on the weekend. He's just, he does his things. He still works, but he's, it's, it's balanced. And it's just watching, you know, I have two clients who are, um, they're retired now. They're in their seventies, the most physically fit 70 year olds I've ever met and the most fiscally sound. So See, that's goals right there. That's retired. They t- retired with their health and with some wealth and they travel and they, so, so many people I know they, that have, that come to me because everybody comes to me for, with frustration. Mm-hmm. They don't come to me because things are working. They come because there's a problem to be solved. So, you know, so many, they may have incredible success. They, they're, they've, they've got money, they got nice cars, they got a home down South, but they got a bad back. They can't walk. They got high blood pressure and it, it's just, the, it's out of balance. So for me, the thing that inspires me the most is finding people and seeing people who actually have that that life balance yeah that's awesome yeah i like that hey it's no use having all this money if you don't have your help right on the other hand i've known people who are fit and strong and active and they don't they can't afford to go away for a weekend so it's yeah. it's balance right yeah find that balance so yeah. you're, you're i know you're a curious guy you're into a lot of different things well what are you most curious about right probably like a lot of people um this a weird place that we are in um, the divide in society in, with philosophies, the right, the left, the, whatever you want to call it. I don't even, that, that's, you hear that's a really an American term, the right and the left. That's a lot of fighting. Well, a hot mess is, is what I call it. It's just, a hot, it's just a hot mess right now. Well, and I'm not saying just the U.S. You look around the world and just the way that I'm, I read a lot, I watch a lot, of, I'm really kind of a bit of a history buff too, and just seeing that history is in so many is repeating itself in so many places you know and and you just it's like this is weird curious thing where you're thinking how come like how can we be getting to this place again you know um that to me i'm, I'm curious about that it's kind of depressing in a way but um it goes back to but you know I was thinking about it, it goes back to balance right so you can't if you have one you know you have communism in one end and you have fascism and the other side and you know you've got these these extremes right and it's we go from here yeah it's it's you know it's it's kind of sad in the way that there's no respect for either side either way um i don't know we're getting away from fitness and all that but that's yeah that's something i just look at it's uh it's a that's the extreme the and i don't know if it's because of social media because of the internet or whatever but just 
people being entrenched and being um, unwilling to budge in either direction. Yeah. You know, that's uh, the next one is uh, this next one is changing gear. So uh, yeah. what's your favorite restaurant? And if when I go there, because I'm going to go there one day, uh, what do I need to get when I go? There? That's the, that is that's difficult. Because that's a hard one. I mean, I'm a foodie. My whole yeah, family. You know how much of a foodie family I come from? We could be sitting, one time we were sitting at Christmas dinner where everybody had brought something. And I'm talking about everybody is, they're all show-offs. We're making all kinds of fancy stuff. And you know what we were talking about? What we're having tomorrow. <laughs> and I looked over and I looked over and my, and one, somebody at the table was showing pictures from last year's stuff we made. You know, we're so excited about it. So that's hard. So our favorite restaurant, I'm, I'm going to go with a couple. I can't pick just one. Yeah, you, you do your own thing. So amazing. So there's always, a, you know, a tie to, to something you grew up with. And so, you know, I can think of the fanciest, most incredible place I've been. But when I get back to Montreal, back to my home, I pull in to La Fleur's and I get two steamies with coleslaw and a couple of and some fries on the side. So steamies are steamed hot dogs. Okay. An all-dressed hot dog in Quebec or in Montreal, it's uh, mustard, relish, and coleslaw. And if you ask for ketchup, they look at you, give you the stink eye, and then... <laughs> some, people, uh, hey, some people slap you. You try to put ketchup on a hot dog, they'll slap you. you Lafleur's, that's one. That's a comfort thing. But in Montreal, in Montreal, Chinois, Chinois, so it's a, it's a family name. It's a deli. It's like a Jewish deli that I grew up with. If you go there, you got to get the medium-fat smoked meat on rye bread with mustard, just yellow mustard and the fries and a kosher pickle on the side. Kosher pickle, that ties it all together, right? That's beautiful, yeah. So it's, uh, and you know what, we, that was the place where, you know, in high school, or we'd be there at four in the morning, you know, pooling our money to get, you know what I'm talking about. That yeah. was, the, so it's comfort food. It's a great, great place. It's got the old Naga hide. It, it's kind of like where Harry, Harry met Sally, you know, with the yeah. yeah. deli there. So something like that. So that, that would be, that's just a, a nice pull. But because of what the situation we're in, and we can't travel, um, place where I'd love to go. I went to New York City a couple of years ago with a buddy and we ran all over all over town and we were in the in the village going to the Blue Note Jazz Club mm-hmm. to see Dizzy Gillespie's all-star band. And we popped into a sushi place, the best sushi I've ever had in my life. I'd wow. love to go back there. That's it. I don't, know, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a, I love sushi and that would, that would be cool. That's cool. All right, so this next one, um, I'm gonna try and guess your nickname. So I probably could have done some research and found your nickname. But, uh, I got three guesses. None of them are correct, but I'm gonna tell them to you anyway. Right, number one, the Purdue Punisher. Is that correct? No. Uh, the Hamilton Hammer. No. No. Uh, Mike Alstock Sr. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. no. What's, what's your nickname? I, those are my terrible guesses. What, what was your nickname? You may have had a few back in the day. It's it's a weird nick. It's okay. My name is Schrammeyer. It's the last name. Americans like to say Schrammeyer. Yeah, I'm very nervous about saying that. And and when and you know when I played football, um, even in Canada here, it was easier for people to say Schrammeyer than Schrammeyer for whatever reason. So when I was a teenager, I was I you know I was crushing it in football at every level as a kid, and there was I was in the paper a lot. And the reporter, he he one guy he. because we, we actually, our games were televised for a while, some of the, some of the games, and the, the announcer couldn't pronounce my name. He called me Schumeyer. <laughs> so then one of the reporters in the, for the, the newspaper just called me The Shoe. The Shoe. So The Shoe. So there would be headlines in the newspaper, The Shoe runs for 200 yards and three touchdowns <laughs> or something. And it wouldn't even have, my, it wouldn't even say my name. It would just say The Shoe. And in the article, it would say Ernie The Shoe Schrammeyer. And then 
throughout the rest of the article just say the shoe. So I, I to this day, if I somebody from Montreal from that period calls me, hey, what's up, shoe? They still call me shoe. So that that stuck. Yeah, kind of a roundabout way to get a nickname. Right? So that's a the shoe, I, but it's yeah. The whole nickname is the shoe, but people just call me shoe. <laughs> <laughs> so it comes it comes it comes from a mispronunciation of my last name ah, that's, that's how the greatest ones start right so you're just yeah, yeah. messing something up so we kind of want to talk a little bit we'll just kind of wrap up in a little while yeah. about the power of perspectives i know you're a guy you've kind of even you've covered it even when you're in bankruptcy you talked about coming there and you could have gone and moped every time you brought that in and you know then but prior to who that she sees all the time right but you yeah. came in there with that so tell us more about how the power of perspective the whole you know, the whole thing, I have people tell me all the time, you know, they say to me, how did you, how are you so positive and how are you always upbeat and everything? And it, it 100%, it comes from my, from, well, I'll say 70% from my mom, 30% from my dad, 50, 50, I don't know, but from my parents, absolutely. And mostly from my mother. Um, I was saying before, my parents were German immigrants. They lived through World War II. My mom was born in 1930 in the middle of Nazi Germany in, in, Nürn, in Nuremberg where the rallies were held where the trials were at the end. So her, her house actually was that she grew up in was taken over by um, the troops. They, they had set up a radar early alert system in the, in the upstairs in the house. So they, when they would see that the bombers were coming over, they would run and tell the neighbors and they would all get in the bomb. So she lived in, she was in a bomb shelter, I don't know, five years being bombed every night by the Lancaster bombers from coming from England during the day. She tells us, yeah, she was telling. So a lot of people who grew up in that during that period in and lived through that, they don't like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that a lot from soldiers and that my parents talked about it all the time. Right. I grew up hearing the stories always. So during the day, they'd be walking to school and, you know, my sisters and I would say, wait, 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 wait. You, she still went to school. You're bombed all night. So they on the way to school, the American planes would fly in. They would shoot anything that was on the road. So at night they were bombed during the day they were shot. So. I've heard these stories my whole life, like from what they went through. My mom had an expression, you know, she said, was, we were in a restaurant one time and the waitress was dinking around. It was a really bad service. And a couple of people were getting, you know, you know how people get, they're pissed yeah, off. I'm on yeah. And my mother said, you know, we're sitting here, we're waiting for this amazing. She said, if we're not getting bombed and we're not starving, then everything's all right. That's personal. So I grew up with, that's what I, that's what I grew up with. Yeah. If you're not being bombed and you're not starving, then everything's okay. If so, you start with that as a baseline? If you start with that as a baseline, that's it. Everything's fine. So, you know, it occurred to me, my wife and I, during this past year, we, you know, we don't, we're not going to restaurants. My wife has MS, by the way. And so she's, a, she's more vulnerable, her immunity and all that. So we really have been staying home. But, you know, we're, we're trying to support local business. So we're ordering food in and things like that. So one night we're sitting on the front porch and having a glass of wine, you know, nice bottle of wine we picked up, waiting for our gourmet food to be delivered to our door and handed to us <laughs> before we go downstairs to decide which movie from which streaming service we watch on our big screen TV with the surround sound, right? Yeah. And then, oh, wait, the Raptors are playing. You know what? We'll just put it on PVR. We'll watch it afterwards. That's fine. You know? <laughs> so we're thinking when, when you hear these people are so upset because they can't go to a ball game or they can't go to a movie or they can't, or, you know, they say we're, it's like living through a war. It's not like living through a war. And so I know I'm very fortunate that I haven't lost my job and that it's actually been a very good year. So I get it. That's not, it's not everybody's in the same boat. I get it. But it's, you know, the, the perspective of, of thinking about people who were going through what my parents went through, 
and then looking what we actually still have, it makes it a little bit easier to, to yeah, deal with the fact that I'm bombed all week. Nobody's bombed me all week. So I've been, I've been bombed and I'm not, I'm actually starving right now, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's because I've been working all day. Like um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. And uh, now I'm gonna bring it down now because I can tell you a dad joke. So and then we'll then we'll wrap. You know what? The only reason I'm here, the reason I'm really that I'm here is for the dad joke. Well, and just to let you know, when I when I discovered these dad jokes, my wife and I sat on the couch one night and and flipped through a whole bunch of them, and they <laughs> they get better. They the, get better. the best ones are when everyone just groans. That's my absolute favorite. And then if, if they and then some of them get mad. When they get mad, that's when it's really. Good. You need a violin to hold on to, like Kenny Youngman had. That was he was the king of these jokes. Right, this is a this is a special Canadian one. So uh, I just found out that Canada isn't real. Turns out it's maple leaf. Are you groaning inside? <laughs> All right. So that's the only Canada one I can think of. But hey, man, if, if someone wants to work with you or just reach out to you, I know they can find your work online with the, the Hamilton yeah. newspaper. Um, what else? How could they work with you? Um, well, you know what they, because of the way that I work now, primarily it's been it's through the screen. I've I've had amazing success stories with some people this year who I've never even met in person. It's all been like the assessment; everything has been through the screen. So um, email me. It's uh, Ernie's Fitness World, so E R N I E S Fitness World at gmail dot com. Okay, they can reach out to me. They can email me there. Check out my website at um, it's Ernie's Fitness World dot com. And it used to be, it used to be Ernie Schrummeyer Fitness. Oh, and you, can imagine why, you can imagine why it changed to Ernie's Fitness World. So it's Ernie'sFitnessWorld.com or email me at Ernie'sFitnessWorld at gmail.com. Um, I've, I've worked with people virtually for several months now. I've, I, I've, in the past, I've worked with people, you know, just doing consults over the phone and, and then emailing them workouts that they, that they follow along that way. Um, you can find my, my, my work, my writing at thespec.ca. Okay. And so I'll link all the stuff in the show notes. If yeah, they yeah, sure. remember all that, but uh, I just wanted to hear it from your own mouth. Yeah, the best way, the, the best, if somebody wanted to work with me long distance like that, it would be, it'd be, we'd be doing virtual. And I mean, it's the, if they're across the country, it's the same as if they're across the street, really. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to you starting your podcast, the uh, All Canadian Positivity Podcast. So I'm looking forward to that when I get going. So hey, yeah. I got to tell you, Joe, this has been this has been a goal and a dream. I, I won't go. I won't say it's a dream. I guess it's kind of a dream. As I'm, I'm uh, uh, my friend and I and some of my clients, my sister are really big podcast listeners and just love. So when I told them I was going to be on, they were really excited. Yeah. Well, you did a great job, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on and uh, can't wait to see this thing come and get the results back. For this one. So thanks, Adam. thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Joe. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do me a favor and hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss all this awesome content coming out, do you? Plus, I'll be your best friend. So there's that. So thank you so much for tuning in. Spread the word. Spread the positivity. Thank you.